Good morning, church. Go ahead and stand up and join us. We're going to start out with some worship. I want to read you a verse. We're going to, as we sing, Psalms 89 or 86, 9 and 10 says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. This morning, I believe we all have things to be able to worship God for. This is not a spectator sport. So let me encourage you, whatever that looks like for you, engage your heart with Jesus this morning because I believe he wants to engage with you and we're gonna sing. Oh 
this part in our service, we just want to take a, a, just a minute, pause, to pray. So much going on in our world. Uh, you know, you read scripture, and scripture says, don't be anxious about anything. Sometimes I just want to be like, God, what the, that is a stupid verse. That's how I really feel, if I'm honest. Like, who is able to honestly say I'm not anxious about anything and, like, not be living in denial? You know, that there's real stuff that's going on. I mean... You know, you, you look at things like you see the shootings in New Zealand and, and the tragedy that's just all around us. So much brokenness, so much uncertainty. And, I, and it makes sense why everybody's just trying to control their little piece of life. Let's just try to keep it from chaos. You know, like let's just, if we could just minimize the chaos, we'd be all right. And scripture says, don't be anxious about anything but it, I love that what its response is and how it says how we combat anxiety is not just by controlling or fixing or changing. It's actually not by doing anything. It says pray. Philippians says pray. Don't be anxious about anything. But through prayers and petitions with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. It transcends all understanding. You know, this morning, we are going to pray because we believe that there is power in prayer. And when we have things weighing on us, you have anxieties or, or just things that are heavy on your heart. Scripture does not say go out and fix it, do something. You got to do more, be better, do extra. It's because you're, you know, you're sinful and God is mad at you. And so he's, no. He just says, you got stuff? Pray. So this morning, we're going to take time to just pray for a second. And I'm going to pray um, from the platform. But my encouragement to you is bring to the forefront of your heart the things that are weighing on you. And if you don't have one, that's enough cause to pray and be thankful in and of itself. And if you don't need to do that, pray for the person next to you. I believe that there's something powerful when the church comes together and we aren't just actually worried about what God's doing in us, but we actually want to see God thrive in the people around us, even if they're complete strangers. If you're here this morning, it's because God wants to do something. So let's pray for that. I'm going to just pray out real quick as we continue our worship. Father, I just thank you that your word does not ask us to, to live beyond our power to control things, our, to live beyond what we can actually fix or do on our own. But Father, in this moment, I pray that the anxieties and the stresses that this world throws at us, that we would just lift them up to you right now, that we would begin to feel the physical weight lifted off our shoulders as we trust in you, our King. God, there are real needs. We pray for the, the families and the victims of those in the shootings in New Zealand, God, for, for the people who have experienced tragedies all over and in this very room. We pray. We pray. O oh, King, have your way on this earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We lift up our needs to you, and we thank you, Father, that you are faithful to hear them, to respond. We worship you, King. In your name we pray.
Still you 
was your foe, still your love bought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it. Let's sing this out. Come on. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. If you believe it, let's sing it. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. me. has to stand the whole time. Um, my name's Bianca. Welcome to Journey. We're so glad that you're here. And this morning, I actually have the honor and privilege of being able to um, give a little giving message, a little sharing on giving. Um, about 
gosh, I think I said last service it was six years ago, but it was actually probably more like eight or nine years ago. Um, I had the opportunity to move to Sydney, Australia. I lived there for a couple years and I was able to do um, a leadership college out there at Hillsong Church. And while I was there in Sydney, I met two lovely young gentlemen from Palmdale whose names were Jaden and Chase Elmore. And um, looking at these boys, you know, instantly I was like, they're super fun, they're great to hang out with, but also they looked really hungry all the time. And so um, I actually decided, you know what, they need to be fed. And so I started having these family dinners on Monday nights. Truth be told, my underlying motive was that I had a crush on Chase's roommate and I wanted him to come too. So, but he's married now and he has a kid and we're so happy for him. So, um, <laughs> I really hope he and his wife are watching on the live stream because I do love them a lot, but I'm not bitter. Um, so anyway, we had these family dinners and on Monday nights, uh, we would cook and it started with just a few, you know, most of them were gentlemen because they just didn't eat. They ate whatever they could get and it was a free meal. Um, and so we would kind of get together and we would make food together and we would play songs and sing and it was a great time. And the cool thing about that is that was about eight or nine years ago and we still to this day get together. The ones who are local, we still get together. And we have a couple friends, we actually have one friend in particular uh, from Washington that ended up going back home and being a youth pastor and he, he comes here all the time and he comes and visits. And so this last weekend we had the opportunity to kind of get away and um, go to Joshua Tree, hang out. Our friend and his girlfriend came from Seattle, they spent the weekend with us. And we're sitting there on Friday night, and we're a bunch of musicians, so we had, you know, the keyboard out, a couple guitars, and we're just singing. And I'm sitting there looking across the room, and I'm looking at this little family that we've created. And I thought to myself, I just started getting really emotional because um, Jaden actually started playing a worship song that we all love and um, was like, oh, you guys will know this one, and started playing it, and we were all singing with him. And Looking across the room, I saw these faces that I've known, these dear people that I've loved for eight years, and I've thought of every single hardship that we have gone through, individually in our group, and um, looking that they're still on top, like they, they've made it. They walked through the fire, and they're better for it, and they're amazing people that are in my world, and they've stood by me when I've gone through some of my hardest times, and I've been able to stand with them through some of their hardest times. And I started thinking that this is really a picture of what the church is meant to be, that this is what God has called us to be as the church. Um, it's so cool because, so when we would do these family dinners, there were some, I'm going to call Jaden out, I love him so much, but, you know, he'd be like, oh, B, thanks so much for making food. He's like, I don't have any money to give this week. I'm like, it's totally fine. Wash dishes. That's your job. And so he'd be like, oh, totally. So, like, some of the boys would bring a couple bucks, and they'd be like, okay, I can pay a little bit. You know, and in that season, man, I was making so much money. I loved my life. It was great. So I was like, oh, I'll pay for you guys' this food. No big deal. And I would cook, and then some people were like, I don't have any money, but I'll help cook this. I'll make this part of the dinner. And then most of the boys were like, we'll do dishes. That's what will do. And so <laughs> that was, you know, every single time. So this time in particular, we're standing there, you know, I'm, I'm cooking, I've cooked the meal, we're getting ready to eat. Jaden is in the kitchen. And he's like, okay, B, how much do I owe you for groceries? I'm like, no, Jay, don't worry about it. And he's like, no, he's like, I have it. I want to give it. Like, please let me help. This is, it's not about you paying for this. It's about us doing it together. And it just struck me that there are seasons as a church, there's seasons when you're going to be able to give more than I can give. 
you're going to be able to financially, like in this season in my life, I don't have a job. And so financially, I've, I've always been the one that like takes the bill for people and like, no, 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 I'll take care of it. Don't worry. And I've had to learn that in this season, my family has had to kind of help me out, you know, my family in the church and my real family. And so there are going to be some seasons that you come to the table and you're like, you know what? Financially, I got this. I want to take care of you. I want to help the church. Or my time. I don't have money this season, so my time is going to be dedicated to the church and giving what needs to be done. So in um, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says it great. This is the message version. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into exuberance. See, this morning, church, we don't come up here and talk about giving because Journey needs your money. We need tons of your money. But, you know, that's how, like, the world thinks that that's how the church is, that tithing is this weird, like, membership payment that you have to pay in order to be a part of the church. And it's not. It's actually just a way that you can be a part and put skin in the game. You're not just sitting on the sidelines. I love what, what um, Ty said before we started worshiping that it's not a spectator sport. It really is not. It's meant to be we're all in this together. And like I said before, some seasons, you're going to be able to say, you know what, I, I want to give financially to this church. I've got it. God's calling me to do that, and I'm going to do it. And there may be some seasons where you're like, I don't have it right now, but I do have time, and I do have energy, and I can start serving in different areas of the church, and I can show up, and I'm going to be here to be here for the family. So uh, as we have the ushers come up, I want you to be thinking as you're getting ready to give, what do you have in this season? What are you showing up to family dinner with? Are you showing up with some money to kind of help out with the expenses that are needed for family dinner? Or are you saying, you know what, I don't, but I can wash dishes. I can watch, I can go in kids ministry and I can start serving in kids ministry once a month. That's not a big deal. I can definitely give my time. I can be a part of the ushers. I can serve in the church one Sunday a month. I can do that. What do you have to offer to be a part of the game? Putting some skin in the game means that it costs something, but that means the victory is that much sweeter. Because when you win, we all win. When I win, you guys win. The, the world is filled with people who sit there and look at someone and just say, oh, again, this one gets a new car or she gets a new job or this, that, the other. And people don't get excited for one another anymore, you know? There's this weird jealousy thing that people have. Let us never be a church that's like that. When you come to the table and you have exciting news, let us be able to be excited with you. And when you are just not doing well, let us be able to sit with you and cry with you and mourn with you and be able to hug you and say, hey, it's going to be okay. Let me get the bill this time, all right? So let's pray over our offering this morning. It's going to be an amazing morning. I just heard the first service, and that message was killer. So be ready because it's going to change your life. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for today. Lord, I thank you for this house. I thank you that you have given us a home here in the Antelope Valley that we can come to, that we can be a part of a family, God. We can be taken care of, and we can take care of each other, Lord. God, let us not be confined to these four walls. Let what we have in here spill over into the Antelope Valley, God, that people would see this as a beacon, a place that they can come as you are and be loved and be cherished and be a part of the family. 
God, we love you so much. We give you everything we have in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've got, oh, thank you. We've got Maria and Joaquin who are going to be giving some announcements for us this morning. Good morning, church. Thank you. Y'all are beautiful this morning, every single one of y'all. Yes, shout out. Uh, I want to give a shout out really quick to the worship team for just opening up my heart to worship today, right? Yeah. Good for them. Um, so I just wanted to greet everyone. I want to shout out to everybody who's watching online as well, to the millions tuning in. We love you as well. You are not forgotten. And to our fifth and sixth graders who are here and worshiped with us, thanks for coming. It is now your time to be dismissed uh, to the lobby area for your Sunday service. Uh, also, in the back to uh, my left, your right, we have our cry room for the littles who might get a little fussy or who might need some privacy. Uh, moms, dads, grandmas, grandmas, you are welcome back there to go hang out. Uh, you can still see and hear the service from the cry room. So next, we want uh, to, to uh, whoever wants to volunteer and get involved, as we mentioned, we do have a video ministry. So they're going to be hosting a training and a little get-together meeting after this service. Um, so for those of you who don't know what the video ministry is, it's those wonderful people that are in the back sitting down recording this and, uh, and basically uh, allowing it to be showed live so everybody that can't make it can also see it and be here present with us. Um, next is, if you want to connect with us online, uh, the new online uh, ability to see is av.journey.com. Uh, um, that's basically for those of you that want to tune in that can't make it, that's where you watch it live. Um, and lastly, uh, just a shout out to the life groups. Uh, we are excited to be a part of that, and we just wanted to share that... Um, I guess an expression of gratitude um, that God is faithful and God showed up and it's going to be a great time. God is already moving in the life groups. Um, so if you need to join one or feel like you still want to do it, go ahead. Uh, we're out there and available. Open door policy. Um, our family is here this weekend. Um, our real family. But it's just exciting to create more family um, with you all in those life groups. So now uh, is the part where you can stand up, sit down. Make a new friend, shake a hand, give somebody a hug, uh, greet one another. Greet one another. Have a seat. Let's get started. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to bring us into week two of our new series, The Healthy Me. Let me ask you a question. 
who are you? I didn't say how are you, who are you? The question is really interesting because when you go to like a party or whatever and somebody, hi, hey, how are you? We always ask how are you, but what if somebody asks who are you? The question's kind of like a stumper, like, because, well, you immediately jump to the roles that you play. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm whatever. I'm an employee of, you know, this place. Uh, I, and then we go to what we do. We go to our roles and what we do. But if we were to actually just kind of be honest, who are we really? Who are you? And that's what we're going to be exploring today is what is your identity based on and And what do you believe about yourself? Where does that come from? Because you're living out of who you believe you are. The things you believe about yourself are revealed in the way you relate with others, in the way you grab hold of and follow Jesus. And so we want to talk about, because most people assume if we grow up physically and if we grow up intellectually, we'll automatically grow up emotionally and spiritually, right? I mean, physically, you, you eat, you sleep, you do basic things, and naturally you grow physically. Intellectually, you go to school, you get information, you process information, you grow mentally. But we somehow assume emotional and spiritual growth just happens, but it doesn't. That's why you can have people who are physically grown up and spiritually immature. Or you can have people who are mentally and intellectually really astute and emotionally, their children. That's so interesting because it's, it's kind of like if, if you never fed your body, never exercised, never rested, your natural growth would be stunted. And so many people don't understand that their emotional and spiritual health hasn't progressed simply because they've sat in a spiritual environment. It's kind of like the 40-year-old who's still trying to prove he's the tough guy on the playground, Right? Still walking around on his chest out and wa- looking for somebody to offend. It's, it's kind of like a 30-year-old, uh, 38-year-old woman who's still clamoring for attention. Look at me. Look at me. Right? It's, it's constantly identity-based, how I look, what I'm wearing. And she still has that little group of friends that she gossips to and talks about other people because it makes her feel better when other people feel less. It's, it's kind of like that 55-year-old throwing tantrums. But instead of being the five-year-old on the playground, now he's the CEO in the boardroom, and he's in charge of people's lives. You see, because so often we kind of mistake the idea that because I'm older, I'm mature. And what we're discovering in this series, and this is based on a book that we've kind of asked you guys to read along with us, and our life groups are going through it, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. What we're discovering is that our emotional health and our spiritual health are linked. You can't have one without, we want to be fully mature, physically, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally. We want you to be healthy. We want this full health for you. Because Christians often think, I'm sitting in church, I'm listening to sermons, I've heard, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that, and you can come in here, and basically everything I say, you, you can pretty much guarantee you've heard it before, because they haven't written a new Bible yet, and we're all preaching out of the same one, and it's kind of like the same things you've heard. I've only had one life, so my stories get old. I try and make them up every now and then. Just <laughs> kidding. But, you know, people, how many Christians are still controlled by people-pleasing and pride and self-promotion and envy and insecurity and defensiveness, anxiousness, hurt feelings, lack of confidence? 
because they've never paid attention to how they grow up spiritually and emotionally. So at Journey, we say, come as you are. We really mean that. Come as you are. Come as you are. But here's the thing we want you to know, too. We believe you were made to flourish and thrive to become all that God made you to be. And when you come as you are, we're intent on helping you become all that you were meant to be. And that means growing you up in every way. So that's what we're going to work on today. But growing up means we get to stop pretending. Growing up means we care more about what God thinks than what others think. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, even if you're new to church and you, you don't believe in this and you're somewhere just discovering or somebody brought you, this stuff can really help you in understanding yourself and your relationships. Because growing up means caring more about reality, what's real, than what's pretend. Growing up means I care more about who I'm becoming than how you think of me. More about my character than just the color of my clothes or the way that I appear. That's what we're going to be going after in the series, and, and we're going to take an honest look at ourselves. So without trying to defend, excuse, or prove ourselves, because Jesus came to set us free. This is one I love, and I, we use this verse a lot here at Journey. John 10.10. 10. You may not believe it, but here you need to understand, Jesus says this. I have come that they may have life. Who? Everybody who's going to gather and come and trust me. I've come that they can have life. And have it how? To the full. Thank you. I want to have the best life. I want to have a full life. I want to have a meaningful life. I don't just mean packing junk into it. I don't mean just have a full garage. I don't just mean have a full agenda. I don't mean have a full schedule. I want my life. He was saying, I want to have a life that's overflowing with the goodness and the greatness of God and all that he's made me for. So that's what we're going after. Paul wrote it this way in Galatians 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then. And don't let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So that's what we're going after. We don't want you to go back to a life that was pointless, meaningless, trying to please everybody else while you inside are empty and lonely. I mean, how many more suicides do we have to watch of famous, wealthy, well-connected, had everything kinds of people before we realize that those aren't the things that make life full. Full and abundant life. And that's why it's, it's freedom. Jesus set you free. Let's continue to live in that. That's what we're going after, freedom. So today, we're going to look at how we grow up into who we truly are, what God has said, our identity. It all begins with who you are. I mean, it's kind of like Rafiki. I don't know if you guys ever watched Lion King. He's telling Simba, you don't know who you are. And that's the problem. You don't know who you are. I don't know. And so I'm going to start with a little assessment, all right? This is right out of the book, and you can read this. But here's, I, I want us to get just kind of a little look, a glimpse at where we are in this growth process of our emotional, spiritual uh, health. And, and so what we're going to look at is emotional infants, children, adolescents, and adults. And we're just going to ask that you listen and you apply the truth about these little bits of information. Is this true of me? Is this where I'm at? And not get defensive and not, not judge yourself or beat yourself up. That's not the point. That doesn't help. <clears throat> Nor is it to elbow the person next to you, you child, you infant. You know, Emotionally, what we're trying to do is just to recognize where we're at in the process so we know where God's going to be working on us through this series. Also to realize that it's possible to be emotionally mature in one area and yet immature in another. 
It's kind of like a child that gets stunted in their growth. Some area of your life, maybe from a past wound or an experience that you had or something that happened, um, you stop growing in a certain place, and it's a great place to identify where that is. So we remember what God's goals are for us to bring us to full health and growing up mature. <coughs> Sorry, I'm a bit under the weather. <coughs> Does anybody else want to preach today? I'm kind of... Okay, here we go. Emotional infants. <clears throat> These are folks who look for others to take care of them. They have difficulty entering into the world of others. It's all about me, constantly. <laughs> They're driven by the need for instant gratification. Can't wait for stuff, right? They use others as objects to meet their needs. Some of you may find yourself here or somebody you're trying to love. Another one is emotional children. They're content and happy. As long as they get what they want, they unravel quickly from stress or disappointment, trials. They interpret a disagreement as a personal offense. When somebody disagrees with them, it's personal. Like, they don't like me, personal attack. They're easily hurt or offended. They complain, they withdraw, they manipulate, they take revenge. They become sarcastic when they don't get their way. And they have great difficulty discussing their needs and wants in a mature and loving way. Then there's emotional adolescence. <clears throat> Maybe this relates to you. They tend to be defensive often, right? They're threatened and alarmed when somebody critiques them. When somebody comes with a, a points out something about them, they get all defensive and alarmed. They keep score of what they do for others because they're going to ask for it in return. They keep a, they keep like a running list of all the things they've ever done because they're going to. It's it's like crid. Pro quo. Is that the right? Prid. That doesn't sound like a word. Anyway, it's that idea. I do for you. You scratch my back. I scratch yours. And there's only a relationship that goes both ways. They're not mature enough to handle a relationship that is often one way. They deal with conflict poorly, blaming, appeasing, going to a third party. You wouldn't believe what she said. And they try to get everybody on their side because it's us against them. And I got to have the team on my team. And so I got to make them look bad. And everybody's going to be on my side. And they pout. And they ignore the issues entirely. They become preoccupied with themselves. They have great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain or disappointments or needs because really it's about me. They're critical and judgmental. Then there's the emotional adult. This is where we're headed. This is what we want to achieve. This is where God wants us to be eventually. This is a person who's able to ask for what they need. They just ask what they want or prefer clearly, directly, and honestly. <clears throat> Is a person who recognizes and manages and takes responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. They don't have to say, well, the boss said, or it's mom, mom's the one, or dad, or somebody else. They just say, no, this is what I believe, and I, I own it. This isn't somebody else's political opinion. This is my best take on life, and they own it. They recognize, manage, take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. Then they can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. And I'll tell you, sometimes, it depends on how much I've slept, I can get real cranky when I am opposed. And it's kind of like, wait, I'm the dad, and it's going to be my way. Or this is just, and, and honestly, that's an insecurity, that's an immaturity. When we get under stress, we become adversarial. But then again, we respect others without having to change them. We recognize people at different places in life. We give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. We appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not just for what they give back. 
accurately assess their own limits. I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of, my strengths, weaknesses. I'm able to freely discuss them with others without getting all weird about, oh, don't look at me there. Don't, you know, I'm, I'm weak. I don't have that strength. They're deeply in tune with their own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. They have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives of others. Now, to become mature, it's a life, I'm sorry, it's not a five-week course. It's a lifelong journey. So, again, that's why we encourage you to get the book, get in a life group, and get connected because there's more than just this message. This is just this skimming the top. We're just going to get what we can get in the next 30 minutes. So I want you to take this home and work with this with others. It, it's just that we need to know the first steps. So today I'm going to kind of give you some intro pieces in the first steps. The very first step of this emotional journey of maturity, spiritual journey, is this understanding of who I am. Who am I? Sense of self. Based on the reality of God's words to you, about you. So too uh, often we, we, our thoughts are reinforced by false belief, right? A false self. That's why in, in Ephesians, and we're going to be camping out in Ephesians quite a bit today, we've, we've learned, Paul talked to the church in Ephesus about this. He was saying, how, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. In other words, the way that you used to live and perceive yourself, the way you used to believe, that's not the way of life. In other words, there's a way of life and there's a way of death. And it has a lot to do with your understanding, right? You learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In other words, Jesus brings the truth. Without Jesus, you are lacking the biggest component to this truth. That's Paul's claim. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Now, again, he's drawing this old way, new way. Old life, new life. To put off the old self. He's saying here like an old dirty garment, like something that you've worn um, as if you were homeless and that's the only pair of clothes you had and you've been living in it, sleeping in it. Everything you do is in it and it's like it's rotten, it's, it's outdated, not only that, it no longer suits the new life. Time to take it off. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new. And I love the corruption. It's, it's literally disintegrating. This old way of life is disintegrating. You can't wear it anymore. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. Where does this begin, this journey of emotional maturity and health, spiritual health? begins in your mind. That you're to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holy. It's time to put on. It's get rid of the old rotten stuff. Put on the new stuff that God has intended. And it comes through true righteousness and holiness. Now, there's an old self a new self. Old way of living, new way of living. And some of you who have come to Christ or are discovering Jesus, you're wanting to pursue relationship with, with God, you're not aware that there's a way of starting this life that has to do with putting off the old way that wasn't working and introducing you to a new way. That's what the church is for, to help you walk this new way. We understand there's a difference. And it's time for our new self. And most people, we get to the words righteous and holy, and we're kind of like, ah, I guess I'm out. Because really, what a lot of people think, when they read words like, religious words like righteous and holy, they're thinking like, I'm out, I don't qualify. Or they think, oh man, so God's going to make me something weird. God's going to make me something I don't really want to be, right? 
This, this understanding or this idea that when I come to God and I give my life fully to Jesus and I begin following him, he's going to make me weird. And it's for good reason because there's so many weird people in church. And it's kind of like, well, you know, do I have to look like them? I mean, they're so weird. And like, no, you have to be like Jesus, not weird people. And here's the thing. He came to make you fully you, not you like somebody else. You don't have to dress as cool as me. Don't have to look like the person next to you. No, it's this idea of righteous and holy. It's like you don't have to be a nun or a priest or, God forbid, a pastor to walk fully and maturely in Jesus. You just have to step into you and who God has called you to be. And somebody that you wouldn't want to be isn't what he's trying to ask you to be anyway. God's desire is to help you become more fully the one he made you to be, the unique, wonderful you. And the righteous word simply means rightly related. You're made right, doing right as God empowers you, and you're, doing, you're rightly related to God and others. Holy means you're set apart for a special purpose. It's like, no, that's the China. That's the good stuff. It's set apart for something special. That's God saying you are meant to have that holy, special, set-apart aspect to you. Now, God made you unique. You're not like anybody else. Your identity comes from him alone, and he wants you to begin to embrace who you are, become who you are from your true identity. And that's we're going to break down a little bit. Who, who am I? So your true self is where you finally become comfortable in your own skin with who you are and not who you're not. This is the place where a person finally arrives at the idea that I'm not going to be George Clooney. He only wishes he were me. I mean, I, I, I can't look like that person. My body was not designed like that Aquaman dude. I mean, I'm just, this is what I was given. I'm going to do the best I can with it, but I am just me, and I'm going to be okay with the reality and the limitations. I was not made with these guys' energy to be, you know, 50-plus years old. I am me. This is who I am, and this is my season of life. I can't be somebody else, somewhere else, and it's walking confidently courageously and this is me I can hold my head up I can walk upright I don't have to feel constantly down on myself because I don't look right don't dress right don't have this don't own that I don't have the job or the career or the title or something somebody else has your identity is not based on those things otherwise you're always gonna defend you're always gonna prove you're always gonna be insecure and Jesus came to set you free from that time to step into your new life so Corinthians, Paul was talking to the church in Corinth. He was talking about this new life. He was talking to them about how we have to break free from this mindset that everybody else and their opinions matter. And here's what he said to them. <clears throat> As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any other human authority. In other words, I've got to be honest. I've come to a place in my life I don't really care what you think. I mean, I don't want people to hate me. I'm not trying to offend anybody. But if for some reason I'm just not your cup of tea, I'm okay with that. If for some reason I'm just not a person who you can be all celebratory and look, yeah, that's a great, I'm okay with that. I, I don't even need any human to give me the you know, my identity. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. In other words, I can beat myself up and make myself feel less than. So I don't even trust my own judgment, my own opinion about my identity and who I am. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. I mean, just because I think I'm right doesn't mean I'm right. Some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that. 
Just because you think you're right doesn't mean you're right. Paul said that. Then he goes on to say how he determines when he's right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. It's God who has to determine. And it's God's saying that matters. Are you in a place where you can actually say, you know what, I care really more about what God thinks than what other people think. I'm going to quit spending money I don't have to buy things I don't need to impress people I don't even like. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going to start living within the means I have, and I'm going to start living generously. I know that's ridiculous in our world, but I'm going to do that because that's the ways of Jesus. When, when do we become comfortable living in that? And there's an incredible freedom when we're free of judgment of others, and we even don't even judge and beat up ourselves, but we just trust what God says is true about us. God wants your true self not to be based on others' opinions or your accomplishments or some action. He wants it to be based on what he says and what he has done on your behalf. Then you're free to do things right out of who you are, who you are, not what you do. Now let me just say it again this way. A lot of church people, they grow up with this mindset that I have to earn God's love and favor, so it's what I do that creates who I am. I become God's child by doing churchy things. It's kind of like the kid who showed up for dinner every night at your house when your family was like eating, and they tried to dress like you, act like you, eat like you, and sit at the table like you, but they're trying to earn their way to your family. You don't get that. You're adopted in, and when you're in, you're in. I don't care how you dress or how you look. You're in the family. You can be weird. You can have long hair, short hair, no hair. You're a part of the family. That's the important thing. You are living out of the family name and identity, not to attain the family name and identity. There's a whole lot of difference when you're living from the good things God has done for you instead of for the good things. When you're living out of the blessings of God and what he's already attributed to you rather than to attain the blessings of God. When you're living from the forgiveness and freedom rather than to get the forgiveness and freedom. And that's a whole lot of difference. And that's where we show up on whether we, we can mature or not. If we are believing wrong, we live wrong. <clears throat> if we feed the old self, that me-centered, insecure self, that identity grows. But if we feed the new self, the God-centered, secure identity, then that identity grows. Because what I feed my body affects how it grows, right? You are what you eat, which is why I look like a chocolate raisin. <laughs> At this point in my life, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I am still trying to burn the thousand plus chocolate raisins I ate all during the last decade because I love Costco chocolate raisins. You know the tub they give you? It's like five pounds or whatever. And, and, and it's like, Lori, we got to the point where it's like, okay, just one handful. We sit down for, you know, after dinner, just a few minutes to watch a little TV or something before we go to bed or just like one little sweet something. So I just like one handful, one handful. I have big hands. <laughs> Not only that, but I kind of do this. Sit down, you know, plum, you know, <laughs> and it's like, what you eat affects how you live. And I began to see now the effects I have to get rid of my chocolate raisins. And it's kind of like the lies. It, when you as a child begin being told from the time you're little and you're fed these ideas that you're only as good as your behavior, you're only as good as your accomplishments, you're not really loved until you. You're not really worthy until you. 
When you feed yourself those lies, basically you become a reflection of what you believe and what you've told yourself. And if you continue to tell yourself those emotional, spiritual lies, you're going to be stunted. Lies like, I'm valued because I'm good. Or I'm, I'm un, you know, not valuable because I'm bad or I've screwed up. I'm important because look at my success. Or I'm great because of what I have. Or I'm significant because I'm beautiful or pe people like me or whatever. The lies you tell yourself become the reality for you. And not only does it stunt your growth, people around you see this malformation in your character. And it affects them as well. But when we learn to feed our spirit on the truth, that's when we grow strong. And what God says about us is the truth, who he created you to be, not based on what you have accomplished, but what he's accomplished and what he's calling you to accomplish with him in you. You are in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have surrendered your life <clears throat> to him, and made a full profession of, I am yours, Jesus. Come forgive my sins. I'm turning from my way. Now it's your way. I'm going to follow you. Then Christ is in you. When you've invited him to come in and opened your heart to, for him to, re to, to, re to receive his life, he comes in. So now it's his life you're walking in. So the letter to Ephesians, again, has a lot to say about this new self and how to walk in this new life in Jesus. Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you. How? By his grace when you believed. Oh, so God gave me the, he, he offered me grace because I believed. So it was me who did this because I believed he gave me grace. Nope. You can't even take credit for this. For what? For the belief. Why? Because it's a gift from God. So what did I bring to the party? He brought the nachos, the hamburgers. The, what did I bring to the party? You didn't bring anything. You just showed up, and because you were there, God extended grace and said, I'm going to give you the ability. I'm going to open your mind and heart. And at some point in your life, it's just kind of like because God is working and you open yourself up, God just like, here, I'm going to let you believe. I'm going to let you have, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. It's a gift from God. Salvation, which is entering into this new eternal life with God, is not a reward for the good things you've done. There it is again. So none of us can boast about it. We are Christ's or God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned. And where do the good things come in? After our identity with God. Not to get our identity with God. It comes after. So we can. We're God's masterpiece. He created newness in us through Jesus. So now we can do good things that he had in mind for us all along. So salvation means rescued from sin, Turn from death to life, set right with God. We talked about that. It's taking you from death, spiritual death, sin, which means um, rebellion or missing the mark. It's turning against God. And when God opens our heart and we turn towards him, we turn our back on sin, we walk toward God's way. Not that we're perfect, but they begin obediently following Jesus. Guess what? That new life comes. And with that new life, we're set right with the one who created us. We are set right with him. Not by what we're doing, but by what he did. See, when Jesus took the cross, what happened is perfection finally took the place of imperfection. You and I are, it's, it's kind of like we get to stand before the judge, and he looks at our rap sheet, and he goes, you're goners. You, I'm sorry, but you can't enter the presence of the holy God. This sin and the sins passed you from everyone, from your descendants, I mean, your uh, elders, you have so much, there's no way. 
One sin is enough, and the Bible says that every single sin will be punished. Every single one. Every time I lied, deceived, made people believe things that weren't, gossiped about somebody, took the Lord's name in vain, committed adultery in my mind, my heart, my body, whatever, all of those things. Those sins separate us from God, and it's like I can't ever make myself right or holy, so I'm, I'm basically done for. I'm dead. And Jesus steps in, and Jesus did all the perfect things, all the right things, fulfilled every one of God's requirements. And when he took the cross, he literally took, your, took my place and your place. He said, you don't die, let me die in your place. I'll take the wrath of God for sin, for yours, mine, and the world. Everyone who believes, everyone who receives, you become the children of God. I will take your place. This identity thing, you are becoming Christ. You are taking his identity and Taking on the faith of God, you're saying, I step into that place as a son or a daughter of the Most High. I step into all the riches and lavish grace of God. I receive all of that because you are now his masterpiece. You are loved and dearly treasured, not because of what you've done, but because of who you are, sons and daughters of God. You catch that? You're unique. You're a masterpiece. You're God's work of art. He didn't make you an accident. You are the person God created, and God delights in you the way he made you. It's different from everybody else, but God didn't make a mistake when he made you. Out of that understanding, out of that truth of what God says, let's begin to kind of break this down for emotional, spiritual health steps. So much of our sinful behavior comes from dark thoughts and false identities, trying to feel secure based on something else other than what God says. Paul said this, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Again, when Christ takes our life, we take his. He puts his spirit in us, which gives us that inner strength. Verse 17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Man, this is so good. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is his love. This is your identity. This is who he says you are. This is what he says he believes about you. This is what God believes and wants you to understand about him and you. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all fullness of life. That's that abundance of life. When you understand who you are, it begins the fullness of life, power that comes from God. Have you ever considered how God wants you to feel about yourself? That God wants you to give you inner strength, and that inner strength comes from that inner life with God. That inner life that is ignored oftentimes because the outer life is so much our priority. That inner life where Jesus goes deeply into us and begins to create roots of good and joy and the blessings of God begin to overflow. That inner life that we're going to talk about a whole lot in weeks four and five. That breadth, the depth of grace that God has provided for you is what you live out of. Can you honestly say, I lack nothing? I need nothing like Paul? I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to blame others. I don't need to prove I'm good or important or anything. In Christ, I'm complete. I'm complete. When you feel your identity is mature like that, man, none of this stuff rocks you. 
But let me just tell you what does rock us. There's three things that Jesus faced, that three things that will be our temptations. Three temptations Jesus faced as he entered his ministry are the same temptations that they're really false identities. And they're a temptation for us to kind of go back into that old way of thinking about ourselves that will destroy us. Let's break it down. When Jesus was going into ministry, now Jesus lived 30 years on the earth before he entered public ministry or did the big miracle stuff. We don't know what he's doing, but he was just there. Then we discovered he was, all, he was the son of a carpenter. We know all that, but, but he enters his ministry. He goes first thing to John the Baptist, who is baptizing people in the Jordan, and Jesus goes to be baptized by his cousin John. When he's baptized, there's a voice from heaven and this is what it says, Matthew 3, 17. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And then he goes from there into the wilderness for 40 days, right from there into the wilderness, 40 days without food, fasts and spends time with God. The enemy, the evil one, the Bible says the Satan, which means the accuser, his name literally means the accuser came and began to tempt him. First temptation. I am what I do based on performance. God had just identified who he is. This is my son, and I love him. I'm so, I am full of joy over my son. He brings me great joy. I'm well pleased. So it's important to understand that Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He didn't earn God's love and favor by doing all this stuff. He hasn't earned the, the attention of the masses. He hasn't healed anybody, saved anybody, rescued anybody, forgiven it. But God declares who he is over him. He identifies him. Because Jesus believed what the Father said about him. With God, He defines himself by that instead of these false identities. And the first false identity, Satan comes to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The accuser basically said, if you are, wait, God just said I am. But this is the thing about Satan. And he looks at you and he says, if you are a Christian, if you are a Jesus follower, if you are a believer, then prove it. Do good works. Do good things. Accomplish all this, whatever. If you're a real man, do this and prove it. If you're a real woman, do this and prove it. And the accusation he brings against us constantly in our minds, we're like, if you are who you think you are, prove it. And this is like totally flies in the face of what God said. The aim is to manipulate you to doing something out of God's will or out of God's timing. God wasn't against bread. God made bread. He gave them the idea of bread. But it was the timing. It wasn't time for that. Some of us, we get the thing out of place. It's not that God doesn't have that for us. It's the timing isn't right. Or his will is something different. And the idea is, I am what I do. I have to prove it. I am performance-oriented. I have to earn it, whatever that is. Do you ever live under the accusation of trying to prove your worth because you don't feel like you're that good? Trying to prove you're a Christian, try to prove you're a good whatever. Some of us have based our identities on our performance. If I just hit that next level, if I just close that deal, if I just get that job, if I just win that girl, if I just have that car, if I own that house, if I, my bank account has that many zeros, if title on the office says this, whatever, that next thing, then I'll be somebody, then I'll be okay. That's just propping up a, a false identity. Can I tell you that's where I lived a lot of my years? 
I grew up, and I don't know why, um, we're going to talk next week, really, really important topic where we look back in order to understand our present. But I grew up in a way in a church that it talked a lot about doing, um, and that's all important. But I don't know if it's just the way they taught it or the way I understood it, but that I earned God's love by my doing. And that's how I believed. And so the more I did, the more God loved me, and the harder I worked, the, the more I could gain his favor. And, and when I prayed really, really hard, then I had to expect results because I earned it, right? If God didn't answer me, I was really mad because, like, God, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I fasted, I did all that. So where are you? Rather than living out of the abundance of what he's already promised, I was living out of the expectation that he was going to pay me back for what I'm doing. And the performance thing rotted an early part of my ministry because I was redlining my life, living absolutely unbelievably outside of what was reasonable or practical for a human being trying to meet everybody's needs and love everybody's meet their expectations not only that but the tendency then is to call other people to live the ridiculous way you're living and they're not good enough and they need to try harder and so i burned out volunteers i took advantage of people i made people basically feel like they weren't valuable unless they were doing for me and i've hurt people badly that way because this performance mindset does really filter into our lives. And I had to learn to be still, be quiet, to rest in who God said I am. And it's been a process that it's working me years, years, and years to get to the understanding. I am not what I perform. I'm what he says. And I live from that. Here's some signs you'll get your identity from performance. If you feel good about yourself when things are up and to the right. But when you don't perform and your metrics go south, you feel horrible, you're no good, why you live? If your worth fluctuates based on your circumstances, like your net worth, people liking you, accomplishments, things are going well, that's the old false self. You don't need to recognize it. Jesus defeats us. How does he do it? By quoting God's word back to Satan, the accuser. Uh-uh, God said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the words that come from the very mouth of God. In other words, I don't get my, I don't get my life from you or from stuff. or from, I get it from what God has said. I'm going back to that. He said, I'm his son, beloved and joyful from his heart. So that's who I am. So what we need to do is we need to do the same. Push back against those things by the truth. You're free because he said you're free. You're good because he made you good. You're right because he made you right, not because you earned it. Temptation number two. I am what other people think, and it's a popularity game. Some of us are aimed at pleasing people. It's just kind of hard for us. It's the wrong target, right? Satan invited Jesus to throw himself down from the highest spot in the temple. The highest spot in the temple was the busiest spot in the community. Let everybody see you do this act of miraculous encounter. You're going to throw yourself down. If you're the son of God, jump off. The scriptures say he'll order his angels to protect you. Satan starts with an accusation. If you are the son of God, then, hey, do this. Satan starts with this idea that he knows he's the son of God, but he's manipulating him to sin against God by trying to get things out of order. Instead of going to the cross, you can get people to follow you just by showing your God. Hey, do a miracle. Do a miracle. Get people to support you. Everybody will flock to you. Come on, prove yourself. And when your identity is based on what others think of you, man, you feel death to you when you let them down. It wounds you like, you know, I mean, you're like dying when, when somebody is not happy with you. You know you're a performance-oriented person. You're a people-oriented person. You know what, that you are a people-pleaser when it just breaks your heart when everybody doesn't like you. And it hurts you when somebody 
doesn't think that great of you. If you are God's son, Jesus once again pushes back and brings him back to the words of God. And he just tells him, listen, I'm not falling for this. I don't need people to stand around me, applaud me. I'm not going to short circuit the cross in order to go straight for the glory. Because the Bible says they're going to worship me, bow down and cry out my name. Well, I'm not going to do that ahead of time. I'm not going to cut that out. I'm not going to worry about people's applause. Galatians 1.10. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? Or still trying to please people, I wouldn't be the servant of Christ. So no, I'm not going to do it. Some of you, signs you need to grow up here is this. You feel a lot of shame. Shame is guilt. Bad guilt. There's good guilt. There's guilt when you do something wrong. You should feel guilty. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. But shame is an identity thing. You're no good. You're worthless. You'll always be worthless. You'll never be right. The Holy Spirit convicts us in order to relieve us, to bring us back to God, confess our sins, and be relieved of that. Shame is about an identity that you are living out of. I'm worthless. I'm horrible. I'm condemned. I'll never be any better. And it's shame that destroys you, not guilt. Jesus answered by quoting scripture, right? Third one, out of time, I am what I have. Possessions-based. Jesus was taken to the highest place in, you know, on the mountain. And he said, look at all the wealth. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. I will give it all to you if you fall down and worship me. I will give you everything your heart desires. Look at everyone else. Look at all these people out there. They have cool stuff. You don't have anything. You've just got the clothes you're wearing. You don't even have a house. You don't have any followers. At this point, Jesus had nothing. You work for your dad. I mean, how independent is that? Carpenter. You don't have anything. You can, but I'll tell you what, follow me and you'll have it all. Short-circuiting God's plan. God has told you that you have all the riches in Christ Jesus. You will inherit all the kingdom of this world. You are part of the inheritance of the greatest inheritance plan ever. That's all part of, but sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. We want everything right now. And he's saying, listen, there's more to happen before that comes. Um, I want you to grow up. I want you to take, take off the old self, put on the new self. And in that new self, I'm going to trust you more and more and more. Jesus chose not to go for it. He said, listen, I'm not going to fall for that either. I just want basically to, to give you an exercise as we close today. Because if you don't know where to begin, the first thing to do is to identify who you are. Who does God say you are? And become comfortable with that. Begin to live in that. Begin to believe that. Begin to trust that. Here's what Revelation 2.17 says. Jesus, this is at the end of time. He says, to everyone who's victorious, I will give a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. This is an amazing picture of the day when God returns, when Jesus returns. We have all received the blessings and, the, you know, we basically get to answer for all our lives. But not only that, Jesus takes all the sin. He's punished for that. So now we reach that place where we receive all the good, good of God. And he wants to, one thing he wants to give you is this identity. You don't know who you are fully. You never will here on earth. But in that moment, he's going to unwrap who you are and explain it to you. This is who you are. And it's not just who you were on earth. You were made for eternity. For all of time now, you will be this. Here's who you are, and it's just between me and you, my unique creation. I love you. I'm crazy about you, my child. Let me just explain to you who I believe 
you are and who you really are. And what I want you to do is just in, in God's presence, just as you think about this, it's really crazy that you can begin to see who you are now by what he said about you. I told you Ephesians was packed full and it's, we wanted to go there. Um, these aren't on the screen, but let me just tell you, Ephesians chapter 1 gives you a wealth of information about who you are as a follower of God. I'm just going to give you some of them quickly. You need to know your identity. You are blessed. Ephesians 1.3, all praise to the Lord God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Because of Jesus, you now get all the inheritance of heaven and earth. Your love, chosen, holy, and blameless. Verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, we're adopted, we're God's children. Verse 6, 7, and 8, we're free, we're forgiven, we're wise. Verse 11, we're heirs of God, chosen and blameless. Verse 12, we're guaranteed, we're redeemed, we're God's holy, precious possession. If you go to John, we're his bride. We're the love of God's heart. We're the apple of his eye. We're the delight and the joy of his heart. This is who you are. Let me just close with a, just a quote from Thomas Merton, and we'll go. He said, trees and mountains and rocks, unlike humans, are, true se- are their true selves. A mountain is a mountain. It doesn't make a choice. A tree is a tree. It doesn't have a free will. But we have a choice. God leaves us free to be whatever we want. We can be ourselves as we please. We, can, we are at liberty to be a real or unreal self. We may be true or false. The choice is ours. This is your choice. You want to step into more of who God says you are, living from that joy and that freedom? This is your moment. Let's pray. God, as we wrap up today, our, our lives are just so complex, so busy that we, we often forget the important things as we pursue the less important things. And there's nothing more important than understanding who we are to you and how we become that. We're all your creation, but only those who believe become your children. That's why you said in 1 John 1, 9, that it's to those who believe, to those who received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. That's how we do it, by taking that gift you give us of faith and putting it in you. I pray today, Lord, throughout this room, people are just stepping into that identity, letting their old self go, taking off the beliefs and the crud that is not true about them, and stepping into the righteousness of God. That even though we fail, we're not failures. That you have made us right and that now we can live into that as we take off the old and begin walking in the new. Our prayer, Lord God, is that we would grow mind, body, spirit, and emotion to full maturity. We ask you to lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, folks, stand with me. We're going to have you sing one last song before we head out and come back next week for more. Let's sing.
Great day.